Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. This is a place for crazy people. Natalie Cheel and Rick Mott. I think you'll listen. TNT. Morning, lovely people. You are listening to Open Line on TNT Radio with Rick Munn, Gemma Cooper and me, Natalie Cheel. Today is November the 16th, 2023. And normally I'd be saying a big happy birthday, uh, but I'm not quite feeling that way this morning. Sadly, it was exactly two years today uh, that my best friend Jess took her last breath. She was tragically one of the victims of the mass vaccine rollout and of lockdowns, and she was only 31 years old. She left behind three beautiful children. I wanted to do a brief tribute and dedication to her this morning and tell her story, and I hope that's okay with you. I think she deserves to be remembered and honoured like so many others who have suffered and who have lost their lives over the last three corrupt years. She had been fighting mental health and addiction issues for a long time, but was actually doing really well with the right help and support, of course, until the first lockdown was announced. And then she relapsed badly with her alcoholism. Due to her deteriorating ill health, she was one of the first in the UK considered vulnerable and, of course, offered the AstraZeneca jab. She truly believed the doctors and experts could help and she thought she'd be at risk without taking the vaccine and I couldn't persuade her otherwise. Uh, She was then diagnosed with Addison's disease after taking two uh, doses um, not long afterwards. Over the next year, she was in and out of hospital with her health further deteriorating. They then were to find various blood clots all over her body and she had several bouts of pneumonia. Uh, She got progressively more ill in the last two weeks of her life and I cared for her and luckily got to see her every day. But at a doctor's checkup I couldn't attend, they convinced her she needed a double flu and pneumonia vaccine. She was to die of sepsis in hospital five days later after taking them. In fact, it was this very hour two years ago I got the call to say I had to rush into hospital. Um, I cried all the way there, but I did get to hold her hand give her a kiss and say my last goodbye. Um, Her body had finally uh, given up. She uh, was a fun-loving, bubbly and unforgettable character, an infectious smile, a laugh uh, that could light up a whole room. Uh, We hit it off immediately as dinner ladies, and uh, you wouldn't believe this, but uh, she actually talked more than me. Um, I'm surprised we let each other get a word in edgeways. Uh, Both loud, opinionated and had a love for talking and partying. Her signature fashion uh, statement was uh, her big, huge gold hoop earrings. And uh, you might not be able to see them, but I'm wearing a pair in honour of her today. After the show, I'm off to get a small tattoo as well. Uh, To remember her by, uh, a little part of her will always be with me that way. Uh, Since her death, as so many others do, I would block out the pain uh, with alcohol. This year, I'm sober and I'm choosing to sit with those emotions instead. And I think she'd be proud of me for that. Uh, she was born on the 7th, 7th of March, 1990. She died on the 16th of November, 2021. And her name was Jessica Justice. 
Well, I hope I've done you justice today, my lovely, and most importantly, I hope one day we will all get justice for the victims of the COVID scam. Goodbye, my beautiful friend. You will live on forever in my heart. And I want to say a big thank you to you all out there for listening to her story, because it means a lot to me. Hi, Rick. Hi, Gemma. How are we this morning? I'm good, thanks. And that was a lovely uh, testimony of your good friend, Jess. And uh, born 1990, she was extremely young. You've been affected by this. She's dead. Her family have been affected by this. Um, after In the next hour, I've got a guy coming on who lost his left leg because of the same uh, set of injections, representing a group of people who are going to court because their family members have either died or took clots. So it's also important, uh, you've made a very good point here this morning, <clears throat> that although this is specifically in memory of your friend, uh, it's her friends have also been affected by this. Her family has also been affected by this. Unfortunately, when someone gets injured or dies as a result of these procedures or these dodgy uh, medical interventions, uh, the fallout is huge and it affects so, so many people negatively. So big salute to you for holding it together <clears throat> as you give tribute to your friend. You can tell she meant an awful lot to you, Natalie. So good for you and uh, well done for bringing her Thank name you. up and uh, making her just not disappear into history like uh they want they want people to disappear yeah. into history they want them to remain nameless they want they them do. to just blow away uh so we can't let that happen so good for you yeah thank you i really appreciate those kind words as well how are you this morning Gemma? yeah um very well and that was an incredibly moving tribute and um i brought a bit of a tear i don't know if it's because it's thursday and we're you know you get progressively tired and emotional towards the end of the week but that was very, very powerful. And the, the human cost of what we've all, all been through in the last, you know, three, three and a half years. And I personally know, I think I probably mentioned it on the, on this show before. I've certainly mentioned it on others on TNT. I know three people under the age of 55 that dropped down dead of huge heart attacks. Um, one was AstraZeneca and it was because they didn't, they didn't stop it like other European countries did. He was 46. Uh, and and his family are in no doubt it was the jab. And I know a, an amazing guy from school, really rambunctious character. Um, I've known him since I was 11 years old. You know, he's just the larger than life guy. He, he drives, well, he did. He operated cranes, you know, hundreds of feet up in the air. And he's really like a, a real bloke, you know. He's now in a wheelchair as a result of the three jabs that he had. And and he's, he's he's you know, he's 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 currently undertaking the World Council for Health's spike protein detox, but he'll never be the same again ever no and, and you know and, uh, yeah i was just gonna say it's so important to keep sharing these stories as rick said because it's so easy what they're trying to do is just pretend these things never happened and and these were real people and these were real things that happened absolutely i mean they want to they want to throw the last three and a half years down the memory hole to quote george orwell and they want to uh, pretend it never happened and even the politicians are coming out now all around the world saying oh kind of sorry yeah we did do a lot of kind of strange things and we're really sorry now yeah it's always apologizing after the event isn't it never asking for permission yes. before you do these horrendous things and they were horrendous things what they did to us um and they'll do it again i was talking with lembit opic on the uk breakfast show 
about, you know, they will lock us down again. I'm thinking, I said to Lembit, I don't know if it will happen in our lifetime now because we, we've seen too much and whether they were priming yes. children for something in 30, 40 years time and the kids have got it programmed into them. Oh yeah, we did this. Well, you know, when I was a kid, it's okay. And Lembit was more of a radical than me. He said, no, I think we will see it again in our lifetime. But uh, here on TNT, right the way around the world with our listeners, our TNT army, we will never forget what you did. We will never forget, no. you know, and your friend, Just Justice. Let's see justice, shall we? Let's see justice. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, here at TNT, we will always uh, be reminding uh, everyone of what happened and uh, keep those that lost their lives in, in, in our memory. So what story have we got this morning, Gemma? Well... As we have been discussing here on uh, on Open Line and on, on TNT, David Cameron is firmly back, isn't he? He's back in the cabinet. The former prime minister, one of our former conservative prime ministers in the UK, is back in the cabinet to much fanfare. He's made an honorary peer so that he can take up the role. Uh, he's back and he's, he's on the job. And uh, where's he gone as his first uh, appointment as foreign secretary? He hasn't gone to the place that's... Uh, looming World War Three on all of us, which is the Middle East. No, he hasn't gone there. He's gone to Ukraine. So he's back and he's putting Ukraine firmly back on the political agenda. Uh, he's gone out there. There's been a video circulating around various news outlets here in the UK this morning. And he has gone to meet Vladimir Zelensky. And he has said um, he wanted this to be his first visit. He wants to put the attention firmly back on Ukraine. He has said he will do anything he can to lend uh, military support, however long it takes. Uh, he, he said if it takes a month, a year, or even subsequent years. So does he know something that we don't? This, this is going to drag on and on and on. And he says that Boris Johnson's finest hour was the support he gave to Ukraine from the UK. And it's a really, really well-orchestrated PR campaign to get Ukraine firmly back on the political agenda. Zelensky is sitting opposite Cameron and his team around the table. Zelensky is wearing, I mean, get this, uh, you've probably seen the video. It's a very fetching sweatshirt with Ukraine blazoned across the front. I'm sure he's probably worn this before. Um, but Ukraine is obviously now a brand. That's what he's basically saying. It's a brand. It's, it's like a sportswear brand. It's a sweatshirt with Ukraine on it. And it's just very, very well orchestrated. It's his first visit as foreign secretary. They've obviously thought this through. He's been advised by Whitehall. He's been advised by the civil service. Um, he's bringing Ukraine back into the public domain because, uh, you know, everybody's worried of forgetting about it. And he's pledged uh, UK support, which means obviously one thing, money. Always money. What do we think, Rick? Uh, it's ironic to be looking at this headline and uh, he's now being referred to as Lord Dave. Oh. Lord David Cameron. Not. It's even worse than Sir David Cameron. Uh, Lord David Cameron. And yes, he's flown over to uh, Ukraine uh, to revive uh, that little PR horse uh, because it's, they've been flogging that horse now and it's been dead for quite some time, but he's been dispatched over there probably just as a token gesture uh, to show ongoing support to Zelensky, but there's no support there anymore. You know, they're talking about, you know, can you start examining ways that you can call a ceasefire and that we can stop this war because it's patently obvious that they're they were never going to win it and they're certainly not going to win it at the minute. And he's still sitting there in his, uh, you know, his, 
pre-mark pajamas with Ukraine uh, written across the front. I think that's, uh, I think there is pajamas, Gemma, to be honest with you. He just works in his pajamas, which is what I would be doing if we weren't doing video at the minute. I would be in my PJs as well, so I can't knock on Vladimir too hard. But Cameron uh, also note uh, paying huge tribute to old Boris Johnson, saying that was his finest hour, that he uh, you know supported Ukraine. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a, a preamble or a setup uh, to see Johnson returning back into the fray again. Because let's be honest about it, if David Cameron, an ex-Prime Minister, Prime Minister, Prime Minister, he only managed to form a coalition with the despicable Nick Clegg, if he's back in the cabinet again. Uh, I'm sure Bojo sitting there wondering, when will my time come again? And, you know, blurs in the wings with the Labour Party. It seems to be like, do you remember The Apprentice when everybody got sacked and it was down to the last two people and then they brought the other losers back again to help them in the final task? This is what it feels like. It feels like The Apprentice politician-wise, there's only two <laughs> people left and they're bringing back all these misfits uh, from the past that didn't succeed in their posts or in their quests and they're getting them to help out the prime runners maybe that's just a twisted view on my part but that's what i'm seeing i'm seeing the apprentice only it's political and it's grim grim to watch yeah. it, it is grim to watch and i tell you what Gemma uh put uh the article um over to us this morning and said uh make sure you watch the video oh uh, but the, the you know like the uh sicky face emoji the retching yeah <laughs> That's exactly what it was like hearing David Cameron. I mean, the word sycophant came to mind when he was bigging up his hero, Boris Johnson. Oh, it made me feel physically sick. Um, and and ironically, uh, before you sent it, I was thinking to myself, wow, I haven't heard anything about Ukraine at all. Almost since, since uh, you know, Israel-Palestine conflict kicked off, I hadn't heard anything. And, uh, and it's almost a uh, timing wise that that's probably why this has come about. Um, you know, it makes me think of Orwell's 1984 and the never ending war between East Asia, Eurasia and Oceania. And I think that's the idea. It's we need we need it in the background in case plan B or C or D or E things don't go right. And we can always bring this war back. It, it was never meant to be ended. But uh, if they can just, you know, send an odd celebrity out here now and again, send the old politician. Uh, it keeps up the illusion, doesn't it? That uh, that it's something that's something terrible and not to say that people aren't suffering there, but but at least they can big that up and make that um, in the mainstream media anything they want at any time, whether that be as a distraction or if they feel they want to they want to, you know, launder more money, possibly or or do anything over there, Gemma. Yeah, absolutely right. And very, very well put. The war is never meant to end. It's meant to be continuous, to quote George Orwell again. And and that's the, the whole point. The way he it, it's funny, isn't it? It's like they always have to tell us what they're doing. And and this video of of, of Cameron, which isn't the it's the official video of the of the first introductory meeting, where he does say, We will do anything it takes, however long it takes, months or yes. years. So years, you know, they've even said it in front of us, this war is going to go on for years and they can bring it in and out whenever they need to, as you're right, you rightly say, Natalie, a distraction, uh, a, a kind of a, a hysteria, a fever pitch whipping up thing that they might think the British public will fall for. Less so now, I think, possibly. Um, I'd have, I'd be hopeful that people will, will see through what this agenda. And the other thing, and Rick, you, you nailed it as well, um, is that you look at Cameron meeting across the table with Zelensky there and you can't get away from the fact that 
he looks like the prime minister, you know? Mm. And you're right, Blair's waiting in the wings. They're all waiting in the wings. It's a bit like Hollywood. They can't make any new films anymore. They have to remake old films because they've run out <laughs> of ideas. It's exactly the no same thing. Too. And it is exactly the same thing. It's showbiz. Politics is showbiz. You know, I was in the media all my career and people used to say about politicians, they used to come into the studio at the BBC where I used to work. And um, people used to say, you've got to remember, Jem, politics is for people who aren't good looking enough to become actors and celebrities. They've got the same egos, the same thing. It's the same pantomime. It's the same thing. It's all showbiz. It's all distraction. But equally, just like Hollywood, they have to tell us what they're doing. And that's what's happened here today. This war is going to go on. This proxy war is going to go on. Mm. Yeah, and I and um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think uh, the the politicians. I wonder as well if they've if they keep getting out the same politicians as you said, like old films, because they they can rely on them. They they know they're corrupt. They don't. If you bring out somebody new, that they might not be as trustworthy and keep all your secrets. You know, they've got a lot. They've got a lot of bribery and a lot of blackmail on these old politicians. So if they keep reeling them out, uh, that they're, they're, they're almost guaranteed to keep up the narrative. So I think there's an element of that as well. So thank you, Gemma, uh, this morning for bringing that one to us, and uh, we will see you uh, same time here tomorrow and uh, uh, next hour with Rick as well here at TNT Radio. You should hear what George Eliasson is talking about. Donald Trump's wolves. Now, we've talked about the Colorado case, the 14th Amendment case, and the judge has denied uh, the motion to dismiss. Now, if you don't remember, the suit cites the 14th Amendment clause banning those who participate or assist in the insurrection from taking office. And they're making this legal argument based on Trump's actions before and on January 6th. And when they claim that thousands of his supporters were creating an act of sedition at the Capitol. During January 6th, um, Trump actually offered to call the National Guard in. He told the protesters to keep things peaceful. And this is all public knowledge. This isn't a political action. They're trying to control once again who can run for the office of president and who cannot. War of the Worlds with George Eliasson on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk be on the lookout and alert for anything out of the ordinary. Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. Thank you for your cooperation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, morning and uh, welcome back uh, there. Yeah, lots happening again uh, this week. Massive in UK politics. Uh, so we had a ceasefire vote yesterday that I didn't even was know was happening uh, until I saw the results of it. Uh, the yes votes were 125 um, and the no votes were 293. I believe most of the yes votes uh, were Labour and uh, most of the no votes, I think nearly all of them were the uh, uh, Tories. And uh, Ker Starmer now has eight shadow ministers that have either 
been sacked or resigned because they wanted a ceasefire. Jess Phillips was one of those. Uh, so we've got we've got all of that going on. Very interestingly, though, and I'll be interested to hear what you think in the online chat. What do we think of people abstaining for a vote from a vote? Personally, I think if you're paid to do that job, you shouldn't be abstaining. Andrew Bridgen happened to abstain from the vote and didn't say yes or no or his opinion either way. So I'll be interested to hear what you think on that one. Uh, Rick, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that or should we move straight uh, to the Rwanda uh, plan. Well, uh, it's worth look. It's worth saying this that uh, what is it? Sometimes <clears throat> all it takes is for evil to prosper and flourish is for good men or good women to sit back and say nothing at all. So sometimes that's all it takes is someone's silence to allow evil to happen in this world. And for me, as you've rightly said, if you're an MP and you're being paid this money and you're effectively uh, governing your country, at least you're supposed to be, you should be doing what's best for the people in your country, but also the people in other countries as a knock-on effect of what you do in your own country. For someone to abstain, to me, is voting uh, in favour of something. Uh, you, you can't not have a position on this. How can no. you not have a position on whether or not you want the war to continue? Well, I'm not sure about that. I want to abstain in that. No, that, that speaks uh, louder and in in fact, I have even less respect for people who abstain from the people that, that actually that's voted my yes to keep fighting. So and that sounds crazy, but at least the people who voted to keep fighting, at least you know where they stand. These in-betweeners are these people with feet in both camps. I have no time for them whatsoever. I actually put them lower I, down the scale than the people that actually want the, the fighting and the killing to continue. I value them lower than those people because yes. of their wishy-washiness and their, their mealy-mouthedness. I, I can't abide that now. No, I always have thought that um, abstaining is an act of cowardice. I mean, it's no yes. um, uh, secret that I'm no fan of Andrew Bridgen, but I would be saying the same about anybody that abstained from that vote. If you are taking that yeah. money as an MP, you deserve, and you're supposed to represent uh, your constituency, you are supposed to, um, you know, go out there and vote. And to not do so is just weak and uh, uh, and cowardly. Mainly, you're doing it because you don't want uh, to take the flack for your opinion. Well, mm -hmm. take an opinion. You're paid to have an opinion. So, uh, yeah, that, that's my opinion on it. And um, it's interesting that uh, there was a YouGov uh, poll, and normally um, I would say they're complete rubbish. Uh, interestingly enough, the people voted, 90% of people um, in the YouGov vote uh, voted for a ceasefire. Um, and uh, it was obviously massively the other way by the MPs. Just another show that they are not representative of actually the UK public at all. The other thing that happened, um, I don't know if we've got time this morning. Yeah, we still have. Rwanda uh, plan has been ruled unlawful by the Supreme Court. We knew this was coming anyway, didn't we, Rick? So, um, you know, Suella Braverman's plan um, to uh, send uh, refugees or illegal immigrants uh, to Rwanda. Uh, now in the Supreme Court, they have said uh, it, it's not being able to happen. Uh, and uh, so Rishi Sunak is... Uh, trying to say, oh, we'll change the law. We'll put an emergency law in place and it can still happen. I don't believe that for a second, do you? 
I don't think no, anybody's going to end up in Rwanda. People, why not stop people from coming to the UK in the first place? Then you won't have to pay to have them relocated back down to Rwanda. You know, okay, so if we go along with this one, Rwanda plan ruled unlawful by Supreme Court. Is it not also unlawful to allow tens of thousands of men to flood into your country with no documentation and take up positions in army barracks and guest houses and B&Bs and hotels into communities causing disruption, draining the taxpayers' money when they're there illegally. Remember, this is a problem with illegal immigration. That, by default, is against the law. That is also unlawful. So if you're going to rule the plan to deport them to Rwanda, unlawful. I, I think the plan should be scrapped too. I think the border should be secured. Then we won't have to be yes. discussing this and the Supreme Court won't have to be ruling against it and Rishi Sunak won't have to be proposing an emergency law to override it. You just police your borders in the first place be like Poland or be like uh, Hungary or be like any other country with a, a premier that has a spine and some integrity and police your borders. Don't let people in and then you won't have the problem of kicking them out. It's like, you know, if someone breaks into your house, Natalie, and you leave the, or if not breaks in, if you let someone into your house that's an intruder, then don't complain that they're lying on your sofa and eating all your food. You let them in and then yeah, uh, exactly, you cry exactly. about the court. Oh, I can't get rid of them. Well, you should never have let them in in the first place. You know, you made the problem. So you have to clean yeah. up the mess. So Sunak's making the mess and then he's crying because uh, he can't kick people like to Rwanda? Fucking send them back to France. Never mind Rwanda. Stick them on a dinghy yeah. and send them back to France and let Macron deal with them because he chucked them over to us in the first place. It's madness. I tell you, madness. So much kerfuffle about something yeah. so simple. Just secure the damn borders and let that be that. But we know that's not what they want to do. And, it, and he says, uh, uh, this is a quote from Sunak, uh, the government has already been working in advance on a new treaty with Rwanda, which we will finalise in light of today's judgment to address the challenges that were raised. And you'll love this quote. The British people expect us to do whatever it takes to stop the boats. And that is precisely what this government will deliver. That good old quote that we've heard time and time stop again, the they're going to stop, stop the boats, boat, stop the boats, except the more they say they're going to stop the boats, more and more boats seem to come, Rick. I know. And let's, these boats aren't self-piloting. You know, they don't pilot themselves across the English Channel. There's people in the boats that are getting themselves to the UK. The, the small boats are not the problem or the big boats. It's the people on the boats are the problem. The French government's the problem. The Royal Navy's the problem. Border Force is the problem. The RNLI is the problem. The British government is the problem. It's nothing to do with small boats. Let's say it's themselves. This is all self-inflicted misery uh, by the British government. So to blame a boat, a little boat, that boat never did anything to anybody. It's just a little boat. So don't demonize the boats. Uh, demonize the yeah. people who are allowing the people to come to the country illegally on said small boats. Maybe, but it sounds maybe, so much better, doesn't it? Should, it's a small boat problem. Maybe we should um, start, you know, the boats are a minority group and they are being mm. discriminated against. Those poor small boats. You know why are the small boats, not big boats? They're but you know maybe there's something at TNT we could look at, look into. Poor small boats. They're being given a bad name when it's actually the government that yeah. are doing all the trouble. Uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, for the headlines, and we've got lots more stories to cover here at TNT Radio. And action. The news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Israel has reportedly pulled its troops out of Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital 10 hours after raiding the facility. The ground is opening up in the Icelandic town of Grindavik as the threat of a volcanic eruption looms. 
And North Korea has bound an overwhelming military response after the United States and South Korea unveiled a new deterrent strategy aimed at Pyongyang. Do you have a suggestion for a possible guest you'd like to hear on TNT Radio? Or perhaps you have a topic you feel we should discuss? Then we want to hear from you. Simply complete the suggestion form on the TNT Radio website. Help us make a difference on TNT Radio. Yep, welcome back. A reminder, we are open line, so you can call in. We're not that scary, I promise. And obviously, log into the online chat. Um, It's busy there today and entertaining as always. Rick, what would you like to cover next? Uh, Just uh, something uh, that we uh, missed off on, just on the story about David Cameron, just for a minute, uh, with Zelensky. There was an important uh, caveat put into that piece to say that this is actually the third British Prime Minister that Vladimir Zelensky has met since the war started, which was February of 2022. And I thought, okay, well, they're not including Cameron. There, you know, there was Liz Truss, Boris Johnson, and uh, Rishi Sunak. But apparently, Liz Truss was invited to go to see Zelensky, <laughs> but she was uh, sacked before she actually oh. got on the plane. So they're counting Cameron as the third. Notice that that's very important. They're counting him as the third British Prime Minister that Zelensky uh, has met since the beginning of the conflict, not even including Liz Truss in that one. So they're almost taking him as a current de facto Prime Minister, even though, of course, he's not even an elected politician. But then again, uh, Sunak's not an elected Prime Minister. Truss wasn't an elected Prime Minister. And now the Foreign Secretary has had to be made a life peer just to be able to step into that job. He's not even a, an elected politician himself. It's a farce. So uh, yeah, uh, that's just as a little caveat. So technically, there could have been four PMs, what, in less than two years? What a joke that is for the British leadership to say that they've been through four, effectively four Prime Ministers in the last 18 months. And only one of them was actually elected. One out of four. Now, like one, that's 25%. That's grim statistics. And and don't forget, it looks like Labour, they've already got rid of eight people that they possibly weren't on board with the with the, the new agenda. Um, Rishi Sunak could technically call her general election at any time. We could have another prime minister. You know, yeah, I mean, no it, doubt. It's, yeah, we're, we're, sooner rather than later. I'm not sure mm-hmm. whether he, I've got a feeling they might call an early general election and not wait for the next, uh, I think, I think it's about a year, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. That um, it, it will be yeah. if, if otherwise. But I think they'll call one early. I think I think the plan is 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 they're making the Tories look extremely bad. They're trying to make Labour look as good as possible, um, and I think that's exactly what they want: new blood. They want them to come in and oh, they'll uh, get blood. Uh, They'll get, they'll get <laughs> exactly blood, all right, but it, uh, it won't be new blood, unfortunately. It'll be other people's blood. Uh, it's speaking of which, uh, story, yeah, you said about uh, covering a story here. So uh, there was one here about New York, uh, the governor of New York, uh, this uh, power-hungry female here, New York's Hunger Games governor, is now collecting data from surveillance efforts on social media to monitor hate speech. So I've no doubt in my mind, and you know we've believed all along, you might as well assume that everything you say online is being collected and collated. Uh, someone somewhere is keeping an eye on you. Uh, th- that's nothing new, but they're actually coming out and admitting this now. So New York Governor Kathy Hochul, uh, the Democrat, announced uh, she threw off some serious Hunger Game vibes this week, announcing that the state of New York has been collecting data from social media platforms in order to combat hate speech following an alleged rise in anti-Semitic attacks. So again, this all comes down to uh, an 
anti-Semitism. Uh, it's against this group. It's against that group. Uh, she said, it's painful to me as the governor of this great state that has been known for its diversity, how we celebrate different cultures, different religions, different viewpoints. It's painful to see the cruelty with which New Yorkers are treating each other, she said, not letting a good crisis go to waste. So everywhere from college campuses to our streets, to schools, to playgrounds, even as they're entering their houses of worship, Hochul said, noting that she immediately deployed the state police to protect our synagogues and yeshivas and mosques and any other place that could be susceptible to hate crimes or violence. So, you know, the the, the Gates Foundation uh, had monitored uh, Irish uh, Irish dissenters, and I actually made a list. I think it was about two years ago. I made a list uh, on the the most wanted list of dissenters in Ireland a few years ago on a on a poll that was funded by the Gates Foundation and Soros. Uh, so basically, Natalie, New York, uh, she's saying out loud what I think people already know that there's a concerted data collection filing system on here that anybody who speaks negatively against the government or negatively against what's happening, for example, in the Middle East, it's not supportive of the government's position. They're being flagged up and they're uh, assimilating uh, possible cases against dissenters, maybe to take them to court in the not too distant future. It's funny because we've already spoken about <clears throat> Orwell's 1984, uh, but again, it reminds me of the same thing. This is the Fort Police, because to me, you know, you should be looking for real criminals, actually people who are going out there and committing crime. This is almost you're you're trawling, you're seeking out almost. Let, let's see what we can find. Let's see if someone's been naughty. Um, it, it's exactly what um, Orwell um, warned us of in 1984. This is the Fort Police, and of course, this this kind of hate crime, even the word hate. You know, that will change depending on what government decides that definition will sit. So at the moment, um, you know, that that could be if you're anti-LGBTQIA or if you're anti-Israel, that could change. You know, you could commit a crime simply what they're saying by by going against the current thing that the New York governor is uh, spouting. Uh, what, for thinking it? Not actually committing a crime, Rick. Yeah. It's it's mm -hmm. particularly worrying indeed. Mm -hmm. It is. And also, uh, that was one of the, the, the major sticking points of the Irish hate speech bill that's trying, they're trying to pass through and make it uh, rock solid at the minute, that even if you yes. were found to have a meme, an offensive meme on your phone that you didn't even post online, that they wanted to be able to prosecute you for the potential that you had to offend someone if you were to make that public. So, of course, I think they're they're doing a lot of these things to troll us, to get us wound up. And I, like, I can't believe they're doing that. A lot of this stuff I can't see coming to actually be passed as law, but it will allow them to sneak other things in while people are getting upset about the most ludicrous claims that are being made here. So, uh, like I said, this governor of New York, she's just saying out loud what people have been thinking for a long time. And uh, it's not a surprise in that respect. But, yeah, they're, they're coming out blazingly. Uh, I'm blatantly saying it now. They're, they're making no bones about it. As, as Gemma said this morning, they're telling us it's it's not it's, it's hidden in plain sight. They're telling us exactly what's going on. Um, and we covered this yesterday. Uh, so important, I think, uh, to point this out. Uh, Switzerland is now the first country in the world to ban uh, the mammograms. 
Um, yeah, so we, we were saying uh, yesterday, because we were talking about smear tests and cervical cancer, mammograms also came up. Um, and I know Lisa in the chat said she'd never get one. I personally would never get one. But yeah, Switzerland have actually come out and said uh, that, that they are dangerous, whilst other countries are still forcing healthy women to undergo them annually. And it makes them incredible profits. Uh, so, yeah. So what have they said, Rick? What 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 um, is is so bad about the mammograms? Well, basically, uh, strangely, after we did talk about those big buses, those screening buses yesterday, this is uh, something this came out after maybe the the prime minister of Switzerland was listening they were to listening. the locked in the open line yesterday and literally said, right, guys, we've got to do something about these buses <laughs> and these mammograms. But anyway, as you pointed out, they, they've banned it. Uh, Switzerland is the first country in the world to ban mammography. Uh, females who get mammograms probably don't realise how damaging they are. So these are some uh, facts here. Uh, 50 to 60 percent of positive results uh, are incorrect. So being diagnosed with breast cancer in 50 to 60 percent of cases could prove uh, that it wasn't even there in the first place. On examination, uh, the breast is compressed with a large weight. Then a healthy, very sensitive tissue is bombarded with radioactive radiation. Uh, it, it could stimulate tumor growth and uh, spread or metastasism of the cancer. And a study done at 690,000 records shows that a large number of breast cancer is completely incomplete in completely healthy women after they actually have the mammograms. And Kate Chemerani, who's uh, very knowledgeable in all these issues, she's a TNT presenter as well. Uh, she put up a post yesterday to say, uh, I don't have it to hand, but if you go and check out her uh, X profile, you'll see the post that she put there. She's also saying, look, if you get one done a year, for the, like 10 years, if you're a woman and they asked you to come in and get screened, or if you were to go and get screened every year for 10 years, it will actually increase your chances of getting yeah, uh, breast cancer because you're pumping radiation through uh, healthy uh, tissue, body tissue. So yeah. Switzerland are the first. Maybe we'll see other countries follow suit here, but interesting that the whole country, the whole country has banned them, period. There must be a yeah, good reason I for that. And 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 um, in a time, uh, you would have think that they would have stopped Switzerland trying to do that um, because they push them so much in other Western countries. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, experts actually warn men um, if they want their partners to be healthy to not squeeze their breasts. Massaging is permissible, but not pressing uh, because you can damage the glands and lead to a tumor. But on the other hand, a mammogram is a hundred times stronger than a man's hand. Remember, so on one hand, they're telling they're telling a man not to do mm -hmm. that. But, you know, go in for an annual check, like to collapse man? down your breast. Well, yeah, like basically, man, bloke squeezing. <laughs> if you're getting a bit their excited, own, don't squeeze the boobs. Your own chest or the women's? Yeah. <laughs> or, are you talking chest. about, oh, right, okay. But you meant like male man boobs <laughs> <laughs> squeezing your breasts. <laughs> Or going for a mammogram, I go down with my beard and say, I'm here for a mammogram. <laughs> you know, slap them on the machine and get them squeezed and bombarded with radiation. But yeah. It's no, I, no, I think they were, they, they were talking about more getting overly excited, oh, right. I think, in the bedroom and uh, and uh, uh, grabbing and grabbing the boobies too much. But yeah, but it's okay. I think, to I think go and... the, the, the check on that one is if you hear a, ah! <laughs> it's probably probably better not to do it or not apply so much pressure. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing That's is the general the other, rule. The, the, ah! <laughs> yeah, it's probably you should probably ease off a touch. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> another, another thing. 
<laughs> but well, the point was that we're missing is a mammogram's a hundred <gasps> times stronger than the man's hand. So imagine how painful it is. And if you're thinking oh blokes, goodness. I'm sure you wouldn't want your balls put in it. <laughs> oh, no. That's another one. If you're <laughs> coming from the guy in a place to the women as well as the men, that's a that's a general rule of thumb. If you hear screaming yeah. in the bedroom and it's not a nice scream, then you should probably stop uh, doing what you're doing. The other <laughs> thing is, by the way, on this uh, subject. Someone put up a message yesterday, and it did make me think. I remember a few years ago, uh, the poster child for the globalism, uh, Angelina Jolie, apparently went in and had a double mastectomy done because there was a history of breast cancer in her family, and she was worried that she would get it. So as a preventative measure, she went in, I believe, and had a double mastectomy done, which was quite odd. You know, she was a, a famous... Uh, well, famous in inverted commas movie star you know the poster child for tv studios and for her to go in and have her breasts removed was quite strange but i get it if she was genuinely concerned and she thought well it could save my life fair enough but then you think about the push there has been since she had that done to normalize mastectomies, especially among young girls. And of course, yeah. who's she going to influence? She's not going to influence middle-aged women to go and have, but maybe there'll be young young girls, teenage girls looking up to her as some kind of strange role model. And maybe just maybe also if they were wrestling with transgender uh, gender dysphoria, it might be the switch that they need. Say, well, if Angelina Jolie went and had her, her breasts removed, then it's no big deal for me to go in and have it done. And, you know, we're seeing these advertising campaigns now and cost the coffee. And what was the other one? There was another one recently there uh, with uh, uh, showing a, a girl who had, had uh, you know, scars from uh, having that surgery done. Maybe that was the beginnings of all this, Natalie, as well, all tied in with breast cancer. I don't know. And, you know, maybe, um, you know, Switzerland obviously banning the mammogram. It wouldn't surprise me if here in the UK, in America, they actually bring them forward. I think normally you have to be in your... 50s i think for them uh -huh. to start doing normal um annual mammograms it wouldn't surprise me if they start bringing them forward to say 30 because it's that idea of that they they want everybody to have no identity to almost you know that transhumanism have no sex have no gender mm -hmm. um like mm -hmm. you said you know it, it will damage most people's breasts early mm -hmm. on and then mm -hmm. the, most people would need them removed at, a, at an early yep. age who knows mm -hmm. uh so yeah interesting to hear your thoughts what you think on that mm -hmm. one in the online chat we're gonna go to a quick break um and we've got um glasgow and gas bills to cover here at tnt radio Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. The radical left, fresh off their abortion-related victories in last week's U.S. elections, are not pausing in their dissemination of double talk and bullcrap on the issue. Here's CNN's John Avlon defending the fact that Democrats favor abortion on demand. The talking points are clear, right? It's the specter of abortion on demand, well into the third trimester, all at the hands of morally monstrous liberals. But it begs the question... How often do third trimester abortions actually occur in America? The answer is very, very rare. Get this, in 2020, 93% of abortions occurred in the first trimester, according to the CDC. Another 6% occurred between 14 and 20 weeks, early in the second trimester. Less than 1% were performed at 21 weeks or more. 
Which is to say that third trimester abortions are vanishingly rare. So let's say Avalon's correct. 1% would have been some 9,000 such abortions in 2020, according to the Guttmacher Institute, a group committed to the so-called reproductive rights, and to people like John Avalon, killing 9,000 wholly formed babies is not even worth mentioning. It's who they are. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malzberg. Listen to my show, 9 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, right here on TNT Radio. Challenging the consensus and debunking the narrative. This is Viewpoint. The Associated Press reported that tax findings for fiscal 2020 by the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation list millions of dollars paid to entities controlled by relatives and close associates of then-executive director and co-founder Patrice Cullors. The IRS filings, the first and only public disclosure of the Black Lives Matter Foundation's finances, show that the non-profit took $76,872,002 in fiscal 2020, mainly in donations from corporate backers and individuals, and paid out $25,997,945 in grants to other non-profits and contractors. Cullors, the only board member listed on the 63-page filing, resigned as executive director in June 2021. She did so just weeks after two months of victims of police violence released a statement demanding that BLM GNF stop exploiting the deaths of their children to make money. The same month as the mother's statement was published, the New York Post revealed that Cullors and her wife had purchased four properties worth approximately $3 million between 2016 and 2021. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days, they haven't drank anything, they're cold, they're dehydrated. As soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely mud. So the country has been prolonged for drought so long. It was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution. And we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Okay. And around the world. For any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution. One rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. At first, like so many other women out there, I ignored my symptoms. A slight pressure on my chest, shortness of breath. I thought, I don't have time to be sick. I had a a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please, listen to your heart. The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. The conversation continues with Rick Munn and Natalie Cheel on today's News Talk. 
TNT Radio. Yeah, welcome back. Just looking in the online chat. There's a few people that have said, including Jeff Rowe, I don't think she actually had the sto- uh, surgery. I reckon it was just a story. Mm. I mean, quite possibly. Um, if it, it, if, you know, I don't know, but yeah. that's we, we, we don't know. Because, I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, she she's claiming, I don't know if she, she got um, uh, fake boobs afterwards or if, if they're prosthetic or something. But to be honest, unless she does a naked scene, we're not going to really know. They they, no. they can say they can say she's had surgery. We, we wouldn't know either way. So just a good point in the online chat that was worth pointing out. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a story from Ireland um, that uh, we've had for a couple of days. It's quite important to cover um, because in Ireland, uh, like Canada, they are trying to introduce assisted dying laws. Um, and... Uh, there are several uh, psychiatrists here and experts that are really against it. Um, the they, They've warned that it would mean that every person would have to confront this as a potential option um, at the end of their life. And the main problem is the end of life care in Ireland at the moment, because the healthcare service is so awful, um, would mean that essentially uh, so many people would choose it because the healthcare service is awful and they're not getting the right uh, help and support anyway. Uh, so an important one to cover here. Uh, basically, they're saying until the health service is tip top and exactly supporting people the way it should assisted dying laws uh shouldn't come into place they're saying yeah there was a there was a story as well uh i think it was from about a month ago it was talking about the waiting lists or so bad or not even waiting lists to see a consultant but to get seen in an accident emergency department uh some old folk are waiting you know 24 hours 36 hours in a trolley in any to get seen and then when they get seen they're told you know go home and come back if it doesn't get any better some old folk were saying you know i'd rather die at least if i die at home i'll die comfortably and warm and at peace with my family around me than sitting in a tr- corridor in a trolley for up to 36 hours in an irish hospital this is even before they get any treatment here so yes this this bill here the, the introduction of assisted dying laws in ireland would mean every person would have to confront it as a potential option or not for end of life care psychiatrists weren't today so imagine you're in hospital and i get uh some people have an absolutely horrific time with really bad uh, even you've said yourself with those uh crippling uh, tension yeah. headaches you have sometimes you're like god if i could die it would stop all the pain and suffering yes. but imagine right that's not given to you as an option so you go into the hospital uh in extreme pain and extreme comfort going, oh if i could die it would be a relief and you're right it probably would be a relief but imagine the doctor then said well natalie if that's what you want, we could make it happen just right now. Uh, we could end it for you right now, stop all the pain and suffering. But of course, they can't do that because it's euthanasia. But they're talking about that as an option. So you're brought into hospital, you're in a bad way, and they're saying, okay, Rick, we can treat you. Or if you want, we can just end this pain and suffering right now, give you a little injection or uh, starve you to death, give you some midazolam and starve you to death, stop all food and water. Either way, it stops. It's going to be ruled out as an option now. And I'm sure a lot of people will take that option rather than be healed or potentially yeah. be healed and, and remain there for their families. But but, it, but like um, people have said, if the health service is awful as well and you're, 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 they're not even helping you um, and you've got no, and you feel you've got no chance of your life improving, then you're more even more likely to take it. And as you said, when I have got one of those tension headaches, you know, if that had lasted, mm-hmm. I'm very lucky that, you know, I've been able to get an ambulance out. But believe me, when I'm in the middle of those, that took a morphine drip all night just mm-hmm. to reduce my pain levels. Now, if that was a week, 
I would be begging someone to end my life, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, think about the moral and and ethical debate there. If they want to get rid of people, they can just make sure they don't heal that pain. They could have willed me into a hospital and not given me any morphine. After a week, I would be begging, begging uh, Mm -hmm. for them to take my life away. I wouldn't be able to cope with that pain for that, for for that long. So it is basically what they're saying. Um, And um, uh, there's a quote here from a uh, Dr. Eric Keller, um, a psychiatrist. Um, as psychiatrists, we believe it is not possible to clearly differentiate between suicidal patients and patients who require assisted dying. There is a potential for assisted dying to undermine the fundamental principles that suicide is preventable and interventions that are proven effective in suicide prevention should take precedence over our health system. And that's what they're saying. They're, they're almost lumping the two together. And uh, many people with suicide I- ideation will now be pushed down that path rather than actually trying to get any help and support for them, um, which is particularly worrying, almost as a funding issue, I believe. Yeah, because he, he also goes on to say uh, that there's uh, the current uh, system. So that guy that you're quoting there, Keller, uh, highlighted the unequal distribution of palliative care services. He said there's a dearth or a real shortage of psychological and psychiatric supports available to people with challenging health journeys and insufficient research in end-of-life care in Ireland, which cannot continue. So he's talking about lack of research. He's talking about uh, unequal distribution of palliative care services. He's talking about a severe shortage of psychological and psychiatric supports to people with challenging health. So there's four. Those are four feelings there in one sentence that he brings up that it could possibly result in a lot more people dying that don't need to die that are going through the so-called Irish health uh, system. And that's what it is. It's a it's a system here. And uh, the end yeah. product they want is uh, body bags being filled by the looks of it. It certainly frees up a lot more bed space and it's a lot less burden on them. If people, we're dead, it's, we're better off dead. It's, it's cost effective, uh, basically. And uh, talking about uh, cost effective, uh, moving uh, to Scotland and to Glasgow in the last four months, they have made almost 500,000 from the low emission zones. So they've got it similar to the uh, one in uh, London, the ULES. So in four months, they've made 500K. Uh, The fine starts £60 and a half if paid early. The penalty doubles each time a subsequent breach is detected with a cap of £480 for cars, um, 960 for buses and HGVs. But what? It's a massive amount of money. And where's it going, Rick? It's not going to go into helping people who uh, need assisted uh, 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 or palliative no. care at the end of life, is it? It's it's, no, it's going to go into the pockets of politicians and probably not well, not ever see the light of day. That's- that's the key. Uh, they, they do a breakdown here. The local authority issued uh, 20,000 fines between June and September, as you say, about half a million quids worth. Gives you a little bit of a breakdown. The council said no specific decisions have been made yet regarding surplus revenue spend, but the local authority continues to pledge that the money will be used to reduce air pollution and help meet climate change targets. There might even be a case to be made here, Natalie, and I'm not saying these zones are ever a good thing, but you know, at least if they were to take that half million and say, we're going to invest it in uh, mental health in Glasgow, or we're going to invest it in suicide prevention, we're going to take all that half million and we're going to boost services that might actually save lives, they may get some PR points. Uh, by the way, I'm not advocating that these zones should ever be in place. But what I am saying is the council can't even say what they're going to use the funds for, but it will probably That's- be further climate change agendas and reduce air pollution, which helps nobody in any way, shape or form. 
And if, I mean, I don't think people will ever agree with it, but if they actually could make themselves accountable and say, do you know what? This mm-hmm. money is going to go into helping cancer treatment. Yeah. This money yes. is going to the people that need it. Most. We're going to use mm-hmm. this money for homelessness, right? Mm-hmm. I think people would actually go, mm, okay, all right. I don't agree with it, but if it's going where it should. Yes. But once people find it's going back into environmental issues and net zero and, uh, you know, this 500K goes into the politician's back pocket, mm-hmm. you know, less people are likely to follow it or pay. So that can only be a good thing. I can hear the music, so it's time to go. Uh, carry on listening to Rick uh, for Locked and Loaded. I am off to go and get my tattoo, my very first tattoo, so I'm very excited. So uh, I will let you know how that goes tomorrow. Have a great day, everyone. Uh, this is TNT, and I am Natalie Chill.